TJPK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It's time to talk NBA Draft with Ben Anderson. You've heard him here right on The Zone doing jazz pre-half and post-game stuff. He writes for kslsports.com. He had a mock draft all purdied up and ready to go. And then teams started making trades, including the Jazz and the Knicks. The Jazz have traded from 23 to the, they traded 23 to the Knicks and got back 27 and 38. Ben, good morning. Thanks for having me. Ben, did that mess up your mock draft? Uh, you know what? It didn't. And actually, I'm not going to do a mock draft. I did kind of a big board just with an idea of players, but I haven't studied that much of what I think hey. you know, the Knicks were going to do at 27. I'm not really all that worried about what their plans are, nor do I really care what happens in the top 10. I don't think the Jazz are going uh, in that direction either. So you have a big board, but not a mock draft. A fine line, but I appreciate the distinction. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's more about looking at who's going to be available maybe after 15 because this draft does seem to flatten out. I think that's probably where that, that probably third tier of the draft starts. There's probably the top three guys and then maybe four through, I don't know, 10, 10 through 15, and then 16 through, oh, I don't know, 40 that I think is probably pretty even. So with this move that the Jazz did with the – a 27th pick trading down and then the 38th. I'm wondering how much do you think it all goes together and they really one move affects another. And what I mean by this is that, so you'll get the 27th kid, whoever that might be. And now you get the 38th, right? So you get two guys and you're not going to have to pay them a lot. So they'll be on your roster. Most likely we'll see about the 38th, maybe not, but probably. And then that, because you're paying relatively cheap amounts of money to those two will allow you then to maybe have some more money that you can use in terms of re-signing Clarks in, using the uh, mid-level exception, all that. So do you think that these moves this morning go together as part of the puzzle of a bigger piece? Yes, and I think that's very much how Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck operate, where they understand, hey, you know, the, the drop in guaranteed salary, because your draft pick holds a salary slot when you're, you know, negotiating deals and what type of money you have going into the offseason, uh, it, it does change that. And the, and the drop between the 23rd pick and the 27th pick isn't enormously significant, but we know the Jazz are working with pretty slim margins this offseason. So a few hundred thousand dollars can help one way or another. And then the second round draft pick, I'm not sure what cap hold they place and maybe it's none because they're non-guaranteed deals in the first place the jazz can wait until they sign jordan clarkson if they bring him back or negotiate rudy gobert's potential extension or sign donovan mitchell however they want to use these pieces and then you sign the second round pick after that and it might allow you more flexibility so i do think certainly that option could help the jazz and actually save them a little bit of money like you mentioned and give them more flexibility than if they'd kept the 23rd pick there's also the possibility that they could draft someone, Leandro Bolmaro, if I'm pronouncing his name right, an Argentinian who's going to play in Barcelona next year. Uh, they could draft him. There's a couple other foreign guys in that range. Uh, and obviously we don't know much about these guys. The uh, Pokosevsky, uh, the seven-footer who weighs about 200 pounds and is two years away from maybe being something, uh, big-time development project, and Theo Maladon. Any of these guys pique your interest, or will it be someone out of a U.S. college? Yeah, my thought of what the Jazz are doing here is there's a guy that they liked at 23 that in all the research they've done, all the intel they've gathered from around the NBA, is almost there's no chance he's going to be gone by 27. So they say, well, why not drop back, get the guy you like at 23, 
take him there, and then just add another asset. I mean, that's another thing that Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck have done, I think, a pretty savvy manner, which is they're going to let a guy go, or they're going to make a move anyways, and they figure out, well, what, what else can we get in this deal? And maybe the best example of that is, hey, they were going to let Derek Favors go and sign with the New Orleans Pelicans. And they said, well, why don't we just trade him to the Pelicans and see if we can get something back? What they ended up getting back was a second-round draft pick. Well, what did that second-round draft pick turn into? They added it into the Dante Exum deal to bring Jordan Clarkson back. And that was really just a throw-in in allowing Derek Favors to move. They didn't have to do it. New Orleans didn't have to do it, but the Jazz saw an opportunity in a window open where they could get an additional asset and use it down the road. That's something Dennis Lindsay, I think, does really, really well that maybe doesn't get a lot of attention because they're minor moves, they're small moves, but they have a lot of value on the back end. So my guess would be the Jazz, the guy they were really comfortable taking at 23, is going to be there at 27, and they said, why not add another value piece into it versus just saying, hey, let's just move back or let's just overdraft a guy based on his slot. All right. Well, then who did they like at 23? Now, I think there's a couple of names I would focus in on, and if you're a Pac-12 basketball fan, I, I think it's a, a few guys that I would look at. Okay, I wait a minute. Say, you just know when you do this, PK and I are going to interrupt with cheers if you mention a guy that either one of us has mentioned before. So just okay. prepare to be shocked and stunned. There's three guys I would really, and maybe four, there, but there's three guys I, w- I would uh, circle if I'm a Jazz fan. The first would be Tyler Bay from Colorado. Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Too hot. <laughs> he's, you know, at, at worst, I think he's probably Andre Roberson, who's been in the NBA for a long time and is an elite defender and also came from Colorado. It's a little bit of a lazy comp. But he kind of might be Robert Covington. He's even got some weird kind of Draymond Green team defense uh, traits that, that, that really kind of would help the Jazz and, and where they were lacking defensively, but a freak athlete was a guard forward and led the Pac-12 in rebounding last year. That's a name I would look at. Terrell Terry, who's the guard from Stanford, who kind of has shades of Trey Young in the way he plays. He's certainly not as good as Trey Young, but shot over 40% from three, uh, near 50% from the floor, almost 90% from the free throw line. He was just a freshman, but he really lit it up. He jumped up the draft board as much as anybody this year in college basketball. And then Zeke Naji, the, the big man out of Arizona, who has worked out for the Jazz. He talked about that a couple of days ago. Pretty versatile. Looks like he projects as a guy who can step out and spread the floor and hit the three. Might be a Kelly Olynyk type. So those are the types of guys I would start to focus on for the Jazz. And then maybe at 38, Peyton Pritchard, uh, the, the guard from Oregon who played for four years and did nothing but win at Oregon. He's a winner, just kind of has a couple of weird things in his game. Big shots. Yeah, that guy just amazed me every time I saw him play. It was just, just incredible. You think Josh Green's off the board then? You didn't mention him. Yeah, Josh Green will be off the board at that point. I think he's probably late teens, early 20s. I think the earliest you're seeing him projected is probably Dallas at 18. And I think the latest you're seeing him projected really was maybe the Jazz at 23 mm-hmm. if they had stayed there and, and probably gone before that. PK, he mentioned your guy. Nothing, huh? You didn't want to play along. What, what guy? Yeah, he went to Stanford. You oh, pumped uh, him Terry? up? Yes, you pumped him up. I was waiting for a reaction. He's, he's tiny, but he, I, I, he came on. I don't want to say he came out of nowhere, but the more I saw him play, the more I liked him. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's in the conversation for the best shooter in the draft. I mean, Sam Merrill's in that conversation. Aaron Neesmith from Vanderbilt's in that conversation. But as far as the ability to generate a shot of his own and hit it off the dribble, I mean, he's Terrell Terry's as, as good as it gets. And he's, he's really intriguing. He's also worked out for the Jazz and is not a piece that, that at all I would be surprised if the Jazz were targeting with that 27th pick. If they said, 
look, the league is trending towards shooters. There, there's clearly a, a a window for these guys that are a little bit smaller but can spread the floor beyond the NBA three-point range that can really step out the Steph Currys, the Seth Currys, the Trey Youngs of the world that can shoot from 35 feet comfortably. Like, that's a, that's a skill set now. Dame Lillard does it. That's kind of a weird skill set, and it changes the dynamic of the floor. And Terrell Terry kind of has this big swing upside. And actually, his downside is probably not terribly low because he can be a secondary ball handler. He's a good playmaker. And, and you know he's going to be able to shoot somewhat, even if he never turns into a defender. All right, I'm trying to push the envelope on this one. I think whether it's a young guy or a veteran, somebody needs to be taking 10,000 of those in the offseason and give the Jazz that opportunity. It's clearly where things are trending. And if you're Donovan Mitchell, the only thing cooler than uh, being in a five-on-five with uh, you know four people spreading the floor for you is to have somebody drag one of the guys out and turn it into a game of four-on-four. It's just more space. And people can't stay in front of him. So that's great. You got a nominee for a jazz player that could uh, be a reasonable threat to hit 35 or 40% from 30 or 35 feet? I mean, Donovan Mitchell's probably the best asset. And he's weird because, you, like you said, you kind of want to open up space for him. You don't necessarily want to put him, him to be at 35 the guy. Right. feet. But, but, you know, Damian Lillard changes the game because he pulls you out that far. And then if you, if you take a step too close, he's got three more feet to beat you off the dribble to gain that momentum. And you're mm. not going to recover at that point. So, He's the guy currently on the roster that has that ability to do it. But, you know, I mean, I mentioned Peyton Pritchard. He could absolutely do it as well. I mean, he's as good a shooter as I've ever seen. You know, I look at this draft, and it's not like you can't get a really good player, really any draft for that matter, at the end of the first round. You know, you look at Jimmy Butler, and he was the last pick of the first round, right? And obviously he would go much higher. But I think you can get a player, and if you can get a player – that is in your rotation, even if it's just 15 to 20 minutes for 10 years, what difference does it make if he's 22 years old? I spent last night watching five hours of draft stuff. Oh, he's old, and he's 22 years old. Well, you're at the end of the first round. If you can get somebody, does it really matter if he's 22 and not 20? Because it doesn't to me. It's a weird value conversation and there's two ways to look at it first of all look at a guy like let's say josh green who we've talked about so josh green's a year old for his class and he's dominating guys that are in his same class but technically he's a year older than they are so i do think that has a little bit of value of saying okay how far does he actually project is he just beating up on guys younger than he is because they've only been playing good basketball at that point for what four years five years when they really got into the aau circuit and showed they had promise and he's beating up on people who are a little bit smaller than he is and then he gets to the NBA, and they're older than he is. Does that project that he's not going to be as good against bigger, better, older opponents versus a guy like Kyra Lewis, who's the point guard from Alabama, who's extremely young for his class? You remember Jamal Williams at BYU was super young. Everyone liked that. Kyra Lewis is kind of that same situation. He entered Alabama. I think he was 17 years old when he enrolled and started playing at 18. So he's only 19 now after his sophomore season and has been beating up and dominating guys older than he has his whole career. So I think there's benefits there. But, yeah, certainly you start looking at guys who played three years, four years. You know, Dwayne Wade played several years at Marquette and came in as, you know, one of the best players in NBA history. It certainly doesn't mean you can't be good. But I think it's a good measure of are you beating up talent at the same age and are you going to continue to progress past that or have you been beating up on guys younger than you or older than you? That, that's where actually I think where the detail matters more so than, hey, you can't develop past 22. And speaking of older guys, Utah State fans would like to know, what do you think is going to happen with Sam Merrill? 
I definitely think he gets drafted. Uh, I don't think Yoli Childs gets drafted, but I think Sam Merrill was basically guaranteed to get picked up uh, probably in the 40s, maybe as high as the late 30s. Again, he's got an NBA skill. He can shoot, and not every second-round pick can say that. He really is, is one of the best shooters in the draft. Worst-case scenario, he's a guy who stands in the corner for you for you know eight minutes a game, six minutes a game, and he probably doesn't kill you on the defensive end because he's – He's kind of a big-bodied kid and can move his feet a little bit. He's not going to be a good defender in the NBA, but he's not, you know, he's not a dead fish out there. Like he, he will be able to provide something for you, and he can provide a little bit of ball handling. I don't think he's an elite ball handler or doesn't have the quickness really to play point guard, but he can help you. He's not going to get the ball stripped every time he touches it. So there's there's pieces to work with there. He doesn't have enormous upside because he is what he's 24. He's really old for his class because he went and served in mission, um, but. He, he's got something to offer, and the team is going to be willing to take a draft or, or a, a flyer on him, knowing that, hey, if he has to play in your G League for a year before he kind of gets up to speed and improves his body enough to make it in the NBA, he's probably worth doing that. But I, I, I see basically no situation where he doesn't get drafted. So I always have this internal conflict every year regarding these foreign guys because for every Luka Doncic, there is a bust uh, Darko Milicic and uh, Dragon Bender, and you know the list goes on and on. But there's also you can counter it with some stars, and, and obviously Doncic looks like he is just going to be a big time player. So this doesn't really relate to the Jazz. It's more of a general question as far as foreign guys because we're looking at this kid from Israel, and I've been reading about him for months now. Denny Avada, I think that's the way you pronounce it. And, you know, they're saying, oh, man, he could be, like, maybe a Dante's and they go, whoa. What's your general take as far as your nervousness if you're an NBA GM, which obviously is one day you will be, as far as drafting these guys? I think now, more than ever, we have better intel on these guys. We've probably seen the talent in those leagues rise significantly to the point where it's more – I mean, it's better than college basketball is for a lot of these guys. Not everyone. You mentioned Pokashevsky earlier, who's playing with Olympiakos B, which is the second level, kind of their developmental league, which is not very good, which is, you know, it's probably closer to where Giannis Antetokounmpo came from. And obviously he blossomed into a star. It, it does kind of go back a little bit more to the traditional draft aspect of it, where it's a little bit more of a guess. I do think there was a little bit more of a home run swing on a lot of these guys, not all the time, but certainly on some of these guys, because it's hard to project perfectly what they're going to do coming over from Europe to the U.S. And, and the idea is, well, if your standard deviation of what they should be at the four pick is Avida is expected to be kind of right in that range, if his downside standard deviation is, oh, he was probably more worth the 11th pick, but the upside of that deviation is he's by far worth the, worth the number one overall pick, as was the case with Luka Doncic or Kristaps Porzingis, you get a chance to outdraft the value of that pick, if that makes sense. I, I think that's kind of where a little bit of the hope for these guys comes in, but the, the, the scouting is so good now, the intel is so good on these guys, the number of American-born players that are playing overseas that draw maybe easier comparisons in competition or American coaches who are overseas. We know Quinn Snyder's gone and done that. I, I think we're getting better intel than ever before on these players, and it's probably less of a guess than it used to be. 
So looking at the NBA, uh, the Western Conference coming into this year here, assuming Houston is about to go through turmoil of either moving star players or having star players who don't want to be there, uh, that could drop you. Oklahoma City, a lot of unknowns, new coach, change in personnel, they could drop. But we know the Warriors are coming up. We expect Portland is coming up too. It's a full season of Nurkic ought to help them a lot. The Jazz and Mavs are hoping that young guys improve and they're getting better. Who are the top four in the West? I would think Lakers, Clippers, probably Denver. They've been there two years in a row and they still, no, no, aside from Millsap, you know, everybody else ought to be good there. So the Warriors. If they bounce back, and if they take Wiseman at the second pick, which I think they're going to do, how much does he help them right away and impact this season? How much is that not something the West has to worry about? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if Wiseman plays his full season at Memphis if he's not just the easily the number one overall pick. Like he, he dominated in his few minutes. He's raw. There's questions about his understanding of the game, but he is so physically gifted that he kind of accidentally puts up 20 points and 14 rebounds. Blocks three shots. He's just kind of that guy. So you, you look at what Golden State's been able to do with some of these kind of rim running lob catchers who's going to have the ability to play with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, these guys who open up the floor. He can do kind of two big stuff uh, with Draymond Green, which is going to be really helpful. Draymond's a just an unbelievable passer. He just doesn't have to do much other than what he does great. So he can come in and I think actually help right away the way we've seen kind of other bigs with not question marks but just that aren't insanely talented come in and kind of flourish in that system because they're always the fifth best player on the floor if the number two overall pick in the nba draft is the fifth best player on your floor he's going to be really good and that's the advantage that the golden state warriors are going to have so yeah they're very firmly back into this playoff conversation let's see what steph looks like i think they were smart to give him a full year off and let him not just get healthy but but get rest and be ready to play for the rest of his career. Clay's going to be fine as well. Draymond's probably aging a little bit. We've seen the best of him, but he's still going to be very serviceable. So they're in that conversation for two, three, four. I think you're right. Let's see what happens with the Clippers. They keep being involved with this this Russell Westbrook conversation, which is weird to me and slightly desperate. They also made a coaching change. So let's see how that works out. And they're going to lose some pieces this offseason as well. Uh, so I, I think there's question marks. Denver's going to lose a couple of pieces, as you mentioned. But they're going to be good. They're young. It seems like Jamal Murray's taking that next step. Mm-hmm. And then the Jazz, I think, are right in that conversation. I mean, I think this was always a two-year experiment for the Jazz with Mike Conley. And the first year, we probably should have expected there to be bumps and, and a learning curve and trying to some growing pains of how to get all these guys on the floor and get them to work together. And it's unfortunate you didn't see Bogdanovich in the postseason, but I think Mike Conley certainly found his footing and what Quinn Snyder wants him to do and how we can play next to Donovan Mitchell and operate. And those stats will fall back because it, it, uh, a guy like Bogdanovich is, is worth bringing in and taking some of those shots. But Conley should be much better this year throughout the season, assuming he can stay healthy than he was last year. And I wouldn't imagine a significant drop-off from Bogdanovich, certainly not from the injury, maybe a little bit because he's in his 30s now, but, but he should still be very good. So the Jazz should be better than they were last year, and they went into the bubble with, what, the fourth-best record in the NBA, or I should say in the West. I, there's no reason to believe they won't be in that conversation again. Well, as always, we love having you on, Ben. Thanks for checking in with us and uh, giving Jazz fans something to uh, think about between now and 5.30 when things get going. Yeah, it should be a fun night. Thanks, guys.